everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Namich Podcast, Insurance Uncovered. Thanks for tuning in to hear the latest insurance news and perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. This week's episode is sponsored by New England Asset Management. I'm your host, Kathy Imus, and today we're uncovering a new law to stabilize the insurance market in Florida. We'll highlight what's included in the sweeping property insurance legislation. Plus, ESG investing. Beams' Rob Barnum discusses the basics of ESG-labeled bonds and their effect on the resilience of insurance companies. But first, just in time for this year's hurricane seasons, which kicks off today, Florida legislators wrapped up a special session last week to stem the state's mounting insurance crisis that has left homeowners struggling with higher rates and fewer options for coverage. As NAMIC's Lauren Anderson reports, a new law now in place gives lawmakers much-needed tools to help stabilize the insurance market. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has signed new insurance reform legislation to help strengthen the market and make the state more attractive to insurance companies. The new law addresses many issues the insurance industry has cited for problems, including costs of roof damage claims, inability to find or afford reinsurance, and litigation over claims. The Office of Insurance Regulation says while Florida currently represents only 9% of property claims in the U.S., it accounts for 79% of all insurance lawsuits. NAMIC Regional Vice President Caitlin Murray says the new law includes more tort reform than the state has seen in decades. Reforming Florida's broken bad faith and attorney's fees statutes, uh, NAMIC believes will help reduce frivolous litigation and encourage insurers to come back to the Sunshine State. Um, where we have seen a lot of companies leave. This will lead to uh, more availability, reliability, and affordability in Florida's insurance market. The bill saw overwhelming bipartisan support in the House and Senate, but critics pointed out the changes would not provide immediate relief to homeowners, which some estimates predict could take up to 18 months. Incoming House Democratic leader Fentress Driscoll says more needs to be done. I don't think, unfortunately, that our constituents are going to see the results that they want to see right away. But I do think that this is an important first step for us to take, but it can't be the last step. Members, I think we find ourselves here between a rock and a hard place because we know that we want to do something. We've got to do something. My constituents are feeling the pain, and I think this is a step in the right direction. NAMIC remains concerned about certain claims handling and underwriting restrictions in the new law that restrict insurers' ability to set appropriate rates that reflect risk. The new law states insurance companies are unable to refuse coverage to homes with roofs less than 15 years old if those decisions are based solely on the ages of the roofs. While not perfect, Murray says the law leaves Floridians in a better place than they were before. We're excited to say that the new law will significantly improve the property insurance climate in Florida, uh, especially in the litigation environment. Um, We believe it will lead to fewer lawsuits, and as those costs fall, insurers will be encouraged to do business in a more stable environment in Florida. Uh, There's more work to be done, but the governor and the legislature have made um, important and much-needed progress in halting the collapse of the state's insurance marketplace. Um, So we commend uh, all those who are involved. As decisions on how best to implement these reforms begin, NAMIC will continue to work with lawmakers to determine whether changes should be applied to new and or existing insurance policies. For Insurance Uncovered, I'm Lauren Anderson. Well, it's deja vu all over again, as they say, as Congress looks forward 
to yet another opportunity to reauthorize and reform the National Flood Insurance Program before it expires on September 30th. Last week, the House Financial Services Committee heard from witnesses and lawmakers alike who described the negative impacts any lapse in the program has on homeowners, planners, and emergency managers, among many other stakeholders. Since the end of 2017, the NFIP has been reauthorized 19, count them, 19 times and currently carries a substantial debt of $20.5 billion as a result of recent hurricanes. NAMICAN witnesses called on Congress to adopt common sense reforms to the program to create a vibrant and competitive flood insurance marketplace. ESG, short for Environment, Social and Governance, has taken the investment world by storm and the insurance industry has taken notice. Today, ESG-labeled bonds make up a small but rapidly growing percentage of the overall market. On today's Unscripted, NAMIC CEO Neil Aldridge talks with Neem ESG Risk Manager Rob Barnum about the basics of ESG investing and how it affects the resilience of insurance companies. With more value being placed on resilience and sustainability really more than ever before, uh, the topic of ESG, environmental, social, and governance investing in particular, is going to be our topic today on the podcast. So joining me uh, today is Rob Barnum. Rob uh, heads up the ESG area for New England Asset Management. Uh, Neem, who's a, a partner and a sponsor of NAMIC in a variety of ways, works with a lot of uh, NAMIC member companies on their investment uh, issues and, and advisory role there. Uh, and also is a sponsor of the podcast. So, uh, Rob, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So let's just start at sort of the basic. There's a lot of ESG, good, bad, ugly, positive, negative, whatever in the headlines. I know we get questions from time to time from member companies about what are we supposed to be really doing here? Um, All those kinds of questions. So let's just kind of start at the basics. Um, so how is the ESG discussion affecting the way insurers should be looking at their investment strategy? Yeah, so uh, ESG, it certainly grabbed people's attention, hasn't it? I mean, uh, just a few years ago, uh, most weren't even considering ESG, and now the interest is through the roof. Um, and we get the question quite a bit, what should I do Um from insurers, um, do I need to do more? You know, they're just very anxious uh, to know what they should be doing. And my advice is to just stop and think about what you're doing and trying to accomplish before launching into making uh, any big changes. Like I, I caution against making big, big sector allocation changes or exiting certain positions until it's clear they know what they want to do or what they have to do, meaning uh, what eventually uh, regulation will entail. Um, one of the first things I tell them is to come up with their own definition of what ESG uh, or sustainability uh, means and don't feel pressured to have to uh, jump into some fund or purchase certain assets or sell others. Um, really decide for themselves what they mean and what they're trying to accomplish. Um, part of this, you know, they'll they'll have to take an inventory of what they're currently doing on the asset side as well as the liability side. Um, what kind of things are they currently invested in? Um, 
uh, how are some of these assets affected by ESG factors? Uh, take a little um, maybe uh, inventory of the pros and cons, of, at least from an ESG perspective of those assets that they currently hold. Uh, look at the details and then making sure that all the same introspection and scrutiny is done on that liability side. It's then once uh, that they know what they want to do and what they're currently doing that they can um, take steps to move forward and see where they'd really like to go in the subject matter. Yeah, it sounds like prudent advice. And I think it seems to be in a lot of ways where a lot of insurers are kind of headed. They're generally, as you know, fairly conservative investors to begin with, um, uh-huh. for good reason, right? Um, and uh, mostly tend to err first on questions of stability and return rather than necessarily, you know, using their investment portfolio to perhaps further what might be somebody else's agenda that perhaps is different than their own. That's not to say that insurers, of course, uh, aren't interested in especially the resilience issues. Insurers have always been leading the effort there. Clearly, we have an interest in the weather. Uh, and its effect on our uh, book of business. And so, uh, For sure. you know, how we invest is going to mimic that, I think, naturally to some degree for insurers. Uh, but I think that's good advice. So let's talk about a little specifics here. There are some ESG labeled, you know, the bond portfolios that are that are on the market today, uh, I think that maybe has gotten a little bit of attention. So talk about those a little bit. Yeah, you have these uh, ESG-labeled bonds, uh, more commonly known as green bonds, you'll hear quite a bit, and it spans green bonds tend to focus on green issues or environmental um, aspects of companies and different projects, Uh, but it's not limited just to green bonds, even though they they dominate the market uh, in that labeled market right now. You also have social bonds, Uh, they tend to focus on uh, ways to impact um, socially. Uh, there's a sustainable bonds, which are a combination of both green bonds and social bonds. They have aspects of both. And then you have sustainability-linked bonds, uh, which are completely separate uh, in the aspect of proceeds. Uh, for the first three, the green, social, and sustainable, uh, the proceeds for those bonds are earmarked uh, for uh, direct causes, where um, and the use of the funds are directed, uh, where sustainability link bonds, it's more or less a look at the entire company, what the entire company is doing uh, regarding some uh, key initiative uh, that they're putting in place. Um, yeah, how's the, have we had these around long enough to measure their uh, their uh, return as compared to others from, an, from a purely investment perspective? Uh, it, it's kind of tough. Um, just within bonds themselves, you have uh, ratings, you have uh, duration, um, sector, all these things. It's really, in in our experience, tough to line them up um, to actually get that. Are they outperforming or not? Yeah. Um, and to your point, they've, they've not been around a whole a long time. I mean, there's elements of them that have been around maybe 20 years or so in small segments. But really, in the last uh, couple of years, probably, you know, 60 to 70 percent of all the currently outstanding bonds have come in these last 
a uh, couple of years. And if you go back to five years, you probably have 90% plus of all the bonds in this market. So you don't have a, a long uh, comparison time to them. Right. And, and, and also, it kind of goes back, I think some of these issues, questions that insurers raise around this kind of thing is, you know, they they may come to their own conclusions on whether or not this is a good investment. I think they always um, err on not being on the, you know, cutting edge of things. It seems to also kind of be their nature to some degree. Um, but it also, you know, we also worry a little bit about the regulatory side. Uh, and, you know, there, there's requ regulatory requirements that insurers have to follow as it relates to their investments. And, you know, there there has to be a, a pretty conservative mix from that perspective. And so they always are trying to balance these issues out. It's not just as simple as saying, oh, we like this cause. Let's just go dump our money into it. Mm -hmm. And there's probably pressure a little that way. Some of the surveys that I've seen that insurers are asked or specifically asked how much in ESG labeled bonds do you have? Um, so I think there's this implied pressure, like if they don't have them, uh, they're missing out. Um, we would, right. you know, our kind of viewpoint is that uh, just because it has a label doesn't mean necessarily that it is ESG or said another way. Um, a bond may not have a label, but still could be considered ESG. So right. to to force people into a label, uh, that that wouldn't be our choice. Yeah, I, I, I've heard a lot of anecdotes, and I, I'm no expert in this matter, but I, I saw something recently actually that, you know, I know there's a lot of questions around the ESG ratings themselves, and I think I saw something that Exxon Mobil has a better ESG rating than Tesla does. <laughs> um, you know, it may one make you wonder about the ratings to some degree or how exactly uh, they're being managed. And I, I know that question comes up from member companies as well. Yeah, yeah. The the whole ESG rating or ESG risk score um, is a is huge discussion and trying to see the value of them. Yeah, it will be interesting to see how this evolves over time. Um, I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, insurance companies. You know, they, they want a return on their investment. They want something that's stable, that's going to protect their claims paying ability and their solvency. That's number one. Uh, but insurers also have an interest in, in certainly having, you know, a more uh, environment, a, a more a, a, an environment from a, from a perspective that reduces rather than increases the risk of loss, whether you're talking about hurricane likelihood or wildfire likelihood or whatever the case might be. But I think the biggest area of concern is is the... You know, we just don't want to be in a position where someone's trying to lever the insurance industry's investment portfolio to sort of pursue their own hobby horse, right? Their their own mm -hmm. what they think the right answer is, and that that I think is the area where a lot of insurers kind of scratch their heads here. Mm -hmm. But it's uh, it will be interesting to see how this begins to define itself over time, for certain, and and where it goes from here. So, so what, I mean, as you, I mean, so as you look at, you know, these issues, you're, you deal with your clients, you know, what do you think the kind of longer term picture here is as it relates to maybe ESG's effect from an investment perspective on the growth of insurers or their resilience? Where do you land on those questions? Yeah, it's hard for me to say what the actual long term growth impact of ESG will be. Um, 
it'll certainly change the growth of some sectors, probably energy in particular. Um, you know, if ESG is also means climate change, obviously the, the models, they are predicting um, outcomes that'll impact like industries like agriculture, fishing, even where people will reside. Um, I, I, the one thing that I wonder about uh, that is, you know, in newsworthy now that we have experienced a bit of is this uh, maybe a change over from a pure shareholder capitalism into a more stakeholder capitalism. Um, so, I, I mean, like in the experience that we've had just recently in Russia. Um, so, I, I don't know if uh, what has happened in Russia uh would have exactly, and when I say but what's been happening in Russia, I mean all the um, uh, the various sanctions and the companies walking out three to five years ago, if this ESG or sustainable mindset, this kind of move over to a stakeholder capitalism hadn't taken place, uh, meaning it seemed pretty swift and dramatic, even more than I was initially expecting. You know, companies have walked away from, like I said, profitable businesses. Would yeah. that have really happened five plus years ago? Um, I don't know. I mean, the circumstances were a little different. Um, and the situation was a little different, but um, just the annexation of Crimea in 2014, you know, the response then, the outcry was, you know, very soft. Um, so I, I think we have seen a little change over in some of the mindset. And will the growth, will that mean more growth? I don't know. It could be, I don't want to say less growth. I'm not predicting less growth from ESG, but it, it might just change the way that we operate. Yeah, I think that's interesting. The sustainability, you know, these words get certain meanings to them, right? But I think I think you're exactly right about, you know, if you look at the the, in the questions around continuing business practices in Russia several years ago, sustainability there in that context probably wouldn't necessarily have considered a company's reaction to Russia's foreign entanglements, right? Mm -hmm. um, but now it does. Um, you, you, you also wonder, with our previous conversation about green bonds in certain areas, um, you know, what if the sustainability of those looks different in five years from now? Um, you know, that's, I think, where a lot of insurers kind of wonder what exactly we're doing here uh, with this label with, that's so new and um, so uncertain on something so important, right, for their, their regarding their investment activities. Yeah, one thing I would say about uh, these different aspects that I see from talking to different insurers um, that tend to get you know blurred is you have ESG labeled bonds per se, and they make up just a small sliver of the the current market. You also have, as you mentioned before, ESG ratings, which mm -hmm. are its own separate world and there is certainly overlap there and then you have like esg type exclusions that tend to be more the legacy social responsibility uh responsible investing things from the you know 80s and 90s that were back then the essentially the no sin stocks and you know that's morphed into a little of you know no coal or reducing fossil fuel involvement of some sort um but those three things are fairly distinct uh but there is this overlap so one has to be you know uh, clear exactly what we're talking about when you say esg 
Yeah, that's good. Those are good distinctions to, for everybody to understand for certain. And I, I suspect if we were to talk in a year from now, perhaps that may, maybe even that there's something else on the list. Uh, yeah, that that may not be, um, you know, contemplating at the at the moment. Um, well, listen, Rob, thank you for joining us today. I think you know we hear a lot from member companies on this topic. They they're looking for some clarity. Uh, they're looking for some advice about uh, you know some of their options here and exactly their role to play uh, on these really important questions that maybe don't always have uh, the clearest answers. So uh, we thank you again for joining us and thank you for working with member companies uh, to try to help solve some of those questions for them. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Neil. My pleasure. Again, Rob Barnum with Neem. Uh, we thank you and we thank Neem again for sponsoring uh, activities here at NAMIC, including the podcast. And that's it for this week's episode of Insurance Uncovered. A special shout out to our sponsor, New England Asset Management. We'll be back again on June 15th with more insurance news. And in the meantime, as we've said many times in the past, if there's a topic or an issue that you'd like us to uncover, please don't hesitate to send us an email at uncovered at Until next time, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a great day.